Hey, it's Lex. Just a bit of business before this episode. There is cool stuff happening over on patreon.com slash wellofsound. Check it out if you haven't already. You can hear more about it in the We're on Patreon Now episode from the end of July, but here's the clip notes. We're posting all kinds of bonus material every week, videos, articles, playlists, and if you join at the Padam level, well... You would have already heard this Phil Collins and Genesis episode because that lets you catch our big episodes early. And the next big episode will be Meatloaf and Jim Steinman coming very soon. If you join at the Ezrin level, you'll get to hear bonus episodes like our underrated solos episode, which is coming out in just a few days. That will only be available on Patreon. If you join at the Gordy level, you'll get what Padam and Ezrin get plus... Perks like special thanks call-outs on our next big episode, which, as I mentioned, is Meatloaf. And I just want to say, it was Dave's idea to do a Meatloaf Jim Steinman episode, and I dragged my heels for so long. He's not here to defend his choice, so I'd like to take this opportunity to say he was right. Not only is it going to be a really fun episode, my appreciation for those two artists continues to explode and get bigger and bigger. Meatloaf's dedication as a performer deserves way more recognition, and hopefully we do him justice. But anyway, enough from me now. You'll find the link for Patreon in the show notes, along with the link for all of our show playlists, including the one for this episode, which is damn good. So... On with the show. Next on the Well of Sound, Phil Collins and Genesis, part two. We left Phil and the boys. Uh, they had their biggest album ever. Their biggest Genesis album of all time was Duke. Duke. Um, and I watched today. I watched um, the Lyceum concert, mm-hmm. 1980. Have you seen that? It's really, really great. I mean, I feel like Phil as a frontman is in top form, and then also, well. He's great because he's he's really there aren't the theatrics that Peter Gabriel uh, brought as a frontman, but for the first time you see emotion and he's really connected to the music, mm-hmm. and he's passionate as a frontman. He has the audience on his side. 
Um, but also his look is just top notch. Bushy beard, open Hawaiian shirt, like uh, khaki bell bottoms, and he's doing the tambourine trick where he bounces it off his head, off his feet. Uh, you know, he's got his his little gimmicks. It's so great. And he, he's also a, a, a good like um, he knows how to rock the sweatband. Like around around the wrist, the I was, wristbands. I was I, thinking exactly you don't that. Don't see many wristbands. I mean, you you still see a few sweatbands around the head, but not wristbands. Well, I remember that it was around that time. T- the tennis look was like I was taking over. It was kind of taking over, but I mean, he had practical use for sweatbands and headbands. When you're <laughs> drumming that much and sweating that much, you got to deal with sweat quickly and get it out of your eyes. But he brought it to the front of the stage, and suddenly, like. You know, it's it's cool. It was an accessory. Looks, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. We talked about this last time. It's it's hard to talk about Phil Collins as cool, but man, in 1980, he was cool. I agree. I agree. In fact, the the evolution of his coolness or lack thereof is like a big part of the story we're going to tell in this episode. I think because absolutely when I entered the Phil Collins story, which is in basically the mid 80s, yeah, uh, along with the rest uh, with huge portions of the population. I mean, the problem of his ubiquity, it's sort of, it's even mentioned in the Wikipedia article. Yeah. It's like the late 80s and quote unquote commercial ubiquity. And like, (laughs) and he admits it. Everyone sort of around him admits it. Tony Banks calls it a nightmare. (laughs) I mean, he's he's half joking. But it's not, um, the sourness that people in the 90s had about Phil Collins, especially during like the grunge era, which is kind of this right. thought of itself as the second coming of punk. And there was this piety about the authenticity thing. And, and Phil Collins was sort of keyboards. And he was, we we're, we're going back to guitar rock. And he's all about keyboards. And he's all about the sort of the gated drum sound. And we're trying to move away from this. So I grew up in the era, as you did, where Phil Collins was the, the, Noel Gallagher is basically going on record during this time saying, I hope he dies. Like, <laughs> Right. If I think who's playing drums on this is playing drums on this. That's it. Then that's it. It's over. It's allowed because he's not playing drums on it. He was nowhere near it. <laughs> so he- we're allowed to like it. And it's brilliant. <laughs> and there's at least, I'd say, six great songs on that first Genesis record, which that's I'd never even that. heard of. Yeah. Right? They went from you know, refusing to be on top of the pops to here in 1980 on this Duke tour, they show up on top. They're, they're like, okay, we're that band now. Mm-hmm. And they, they play top of the pops. They play, uh, turn it on again on top of the pops. Well, it's a real, like, um, well, I found, so they're it, headed in a certain direction. Clearly. Yeah. And the, you, Genesis, uh, you know, archivists would say that, Tony and Mike were just as much in favor of the commercial direction as Phil was. Totally. It was not because it's it, the, the, the the narrative right. is that Phil sort of decided once he started getting more involved in the songwriting, everything started to become ditties. And uh, yeah. that's not really true, at least not according to even Phil or the guys themselves. So to remain a fresh band that people still like, you've got to be constantly, I think, constantly changing in a way so that people you pick up fresh fans as well as losing old fans you know things change there are still probably one or two people around who bought those uh, I'm sure there's some people around who like Trespass and still like us you know the Beach Boys when they did Pet Sounds were my favourite ever group you know well now I wouldn't say they were I mean the last album I really liked by them was probably 
Holland, you know, which is quite a while ago now. And I haven't didn't like every album between Pet Sounds and Holland, you know. I wouldn't expect to, you know. It doesn't really worry me. Pet Sounds still exists, still a great album, still enjoy it. It doesn't matter for me. I still like the Beach Boys for that reason, you know. If you keep going for 10, 12 years, you know, it's like the Stones. I loved them in the early days. I don't really have much time for them now, you know. There must be hundreds of other people around like that. But I think there are new people who like them, younger people who, who like them now. Otherwise, they wouldn't be valid anymore. But if you listen to the two live albums, they, they released the album Seconds Out, in, which is recorded in 77. And they re- re- released uh, Three Sides Live in 1982, I think. Yeah. And the difference in the way Phil Collins is as a frontman, maybe they mix him louder for certainly on Three Sides maybe. Live. But he's just... Uh, I, while I definitely prefer Seconds Out... Three Sides Live is, is fantastic, but it's yeah. a more confident singer. I mean, he's, right. uh, he's uh, belting it. Right. I texted you between the last time we only recorded that last episode, you know, five days ago or something. <laughs> um, and in that time, obviously, we've been we've been getting more and more into all this stuff. Uh, but I found this uh, Brand X song from 1979 from their second album, Product, um, where Phil sings vocals. And 79 was also. The, uh, the year that he was at least writing the demos of what will be his solo stuff. And I just thought it was interesting that you listen to his vocals on, on Brand X and what he said sort of if the divorce hadn't been a part of his life at this point, that maybe something like this is actually what his, uh, uh, Phil Collins' solo stuff would have sounded mm. like. It's a fusion-y sound. It's, it's, it's not very pop at all. It's not going to take the world by storm in the way that... <laughs> 1981's face value does. I mean, so he rec- we talked about it last time, but he records these... He's been bas- he's been abandoned. He's, he's been in the middle of divorce with his first wife. And he has a drum machine that he sort of begrudgingly decided to use, and he starts recording these demos. And he's just fumbling through with the simplest version of a song you know, he can possibly come up with and he's driven by emotion and that's about all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you listen to In the Air Tonight, which is the smash that comes out of this and the smash that sort of is heard around the world and is kind of continuing to reverberate in a lot of ways, he says that that's the musical moment he's most known for. And it'll, yeah. be, it'll be sort of on his grave, gravestone. Yeah. But um, it's a very simple song. That song is all atmosphere. That That is actually my best vocal I've ever done. I mean, uh, I would say that I don't like doubt. I don't like anybody in the studio when I'm when I'm recording. I mean, there was me and there was Hugh and there was my girlfriend, and apart from that, I mean, I even made sh- well. And actually, there was a tape up, and we became a very very close family during the making of the album. I mean, like 
they almost became non-existent in terms of me you know, not being able to let go. So I made sure that there was no one in the studio and I just, in fact, when I did that vocal, there was just me and the tape up because Hugh was on the phone, I think, and Jill was out having a cup of tea or something. And so it was literally me and the yeah. tape up. And when I walked in the room, he gave me like, you know, vibe, you know, he was like, he was, re he was really happy with it. And I knew that I just sort of opened up and just did it. And I, it is, you know, I mean, I'd like to get more of that on the Genesis thing. And I started to with Duke. I mean, I, I was thrown in at the deep end with the singing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I was in a successful band and I never sung really heavy songs before. And suddenly I was competing with the bands that have had, you know, they've had regular singers for like 10 years or something. So it's only really now in the last, well, since Duke and this album that I've really started to sort of concentrate on singing and it to get better, you know. But I'm looking forward to doing the next Genesis album because at least they're giving me the space now to uh -huh. play around with tunes, which is what I did a lot on my album. He, he even he even says he sort of mimed the words. There's 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 people saying that it's a he wrote it about seeing some guy drowning and deciding not to intervene. And that's <laughs> no, he was that's um, that urban legend that sort of pre-internet just was was everywhere. Did you did you know what the song is actually about? Which <laughs> makes no possible sense. The the, the not only the, the story was not only that he wrote it about seeing somebody not help somebody when they were drowning which he would also be a person who was observing somebody drowning uh, <laughs> in that, in in that, that scenario, scenario. <laughs> however yeah. uh that he wrote the song so that he could invite the guy to the concert and shine a light on him and uh and sing the song directly to him and just make him feel all the guilt that he could possibly feel in the world and yet you know what sort of a uh uh Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> level plan is this where, you know, it's like afterwards, if he, if he halfway pulled it off, he finds out that the guy went to the snack bar or something, you know. I mean, all the whole tune and the lyrics were improvised. When I did it at home, I did a guide vocal and I just sort of sat there, well, stood up and I sort of opened my mouth and just sang. And the lyrics that you hear are what came out and the tune is what came out. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll keep that. Because the words don't really mean anything. I mean, there's an overall menacing quality and bitter, I suppose. But I mean, basically, there's not, I'm not trying to say anything and it's not a story. It's just a feeling, you know? Feeling, yeah. And uh, certain words fit certain notes. And on certain notes, if it's a high note, you can't, you can't, you know, you have to certain shape of the mouth and all that. And you don't learn that in a day, you know? You've got to sort of um, let it creep up behind you in a way. Phil Collins was not, he was, he was the front man and drummer for Genesis. He was not Phil Collins. And that, that song is just an absolute smash. And the rest of the record is really good because it's got this vibe of... of it's a vibey you, record. You talked about it last time about how it's, it's sort of the ulti, it's kind of an indie record. Yeah, it does have that vibe. And another factor in the creation of it is the head of Atlantic, uh, Amit Artugan, uh, is a person who, in, who hears it early on and really encourages him where I, I don't think had he not had somebody at that level who's essentially a legend and responsible for making stars um, basically say this this has to be 
an album. And all, not only that, but say, play the demos and play the album for other artists and be like, you should do something like this. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the sound cuts through everything and, and sort of resets the pop world. Yeah, well, especially since it's he, he produces when he actually does the recordings, he does it with Hugh Padham, right? Who he right. Um, right. Pi- so pioneered they, that drum sound on, on Peter Gabriel's song. It's the first of many collaborations. Are you once said that uh, Genesis is your wife, Brand X is your mistress. What is this record? <laughs> your solo project. <laughs> well, I've considered that my record is now my wife. And Genesis is my mistress. Really? Yeah, and no, I mean, I've, I've, basically, I've, I'm my own man now. I mean, I, I'm still Genesis, and Genesis are very solid, more solid than ever. We've been getting a lot of phone calls since we started playing the record. Right. They're worried. People are worried. Well, I've been actually, the, some, of the, some of the press things have been saying next Genesis thing. And, but, I mean, uh, we've been rehearsing for two months for a new album, which is going to be very, very different, because we're using a different engineer. Uh, we're producing it ourselves, and we've, we're using the guy that did Peter Gabriel's engineering. Steve Lillyway. No, no, no he oh, produced oh, it. Hugh Padgham. Okay. Hugh Padgham, and he also did my album. All right. And uh, it, basically, it's left up to me to find producers and engineers, and I really got on with Hugh very, very well. He's a very young, fresh engineer. Mm-hmm. So uh, the music is very, very different as well. It's, a lot, it's not rock and roll simple, but it's simple. It's like got space. All right, more like... More mature. Turn it on. Um... Well, the, the best tunes on Duke, we felt, were the tunes that we, we co-wrote together. Okay. And all this album, the new stuff, which could be a double, because there's an awful lot of material, is all co-written. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that really is one of the main things, because, I mean, I've got my outlet now for my songs, Tony's got his, Mike's got his, and we only come together to write because together, and, you know, because we like writing together. So we don't bother, to, we don't bother each other with our own material. Which is good. It means the band is back to like it used to be in a way. We're just writing together and being bouncing off each other. Yeah, a lot more input or a lot more energy. Yeah. Him and Hugh, uh, he and Hugh. He and Hugh. Uh, the story of the Phil Collins sound is their sound um, together. These men collaborating on countless singles throughout and, the 80s. And also bringing in the Phoenix horns. Right. Uh, yeah, and Phil had felt like Genesis would never allow horns on any record, and he has what's going to come become apparent is, is is Phil really loves not only jazz but he loves Motown, yeah. and so bringing sort of more funky horns in and aping some Motown songs is going to get him really far, actually. Suppose there was no Genesis, there was no Brandix. In what top group from the moment would you like to play in? Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I actually am a fan of that sound on um, I Like I Missed Again. That push, that opening line, you finally came out and said it, girl. What took you so long? I mean, that is a strong, I mean, that's like Temptations level, like yeah. lyrics. It's got a good push to it. 
It's a it's a great the record is fantastic, but you know a lot of it had was new new to me. I mean, one of the things that you go on in the eighties, you realize how much of this was the music of the mall, you know, and how much of it was just the background music ah. everywhere you went. But face value, like um, a song like probably my favorite song on that record, um, other than in the air tonight, which I think is yeah, I, this kind of a monumental achievement. Is I would say is the roof is leaking. Is yeah. um, sounds like kind of an early Rod Stewart tune with him at piano and there's like a slide guitar. There's a slide guitar that's actually like an interesting part of this album while there are the sort of Eno and Fripp um atmospheric things happen and and Peter Gabriel stuff which which he clearly learned from working with all those guys on their solo stuff to sort of create an atmosphere and also weather report he really mm. loves um weather report which I thought I knew what weather report was until I look deeper and I, I'm, I'm really digging that um but then there are these moments that uh there's like uh indian elements and and jazzy elements and then the roof is leaking has this slide guitar and they're they stand out from the rest of the album as as being pretty unique so it's, he does it's he weird. has to pursue those directions like in the same way he pursues other directions right. i mean this is what the roof is leaking sounds like the roof is Sounds a little like Gasoline Alley, but a little more yeah. stripped down. But then a few tracks later, you have what is my other favorite song on the record is Hand in Hand. Which I don't is like think this, I know Hand It's in this hand. weird instrumental with like these crazy vocals and amazing drums. This is it. Uh, I say it's, it's an instrumental tune, and it's one of the ones that I had a whale of a time with the horn section. With it's um, instrumental. It's basically like uh, uh, Who Man, Who Man, the Marx Brothers. It's uh, Innocence and Children. Everybody calls this album a divorce album, mm-hmm. and yet um, there's a song like This Must Be Love, which is this uplifting, positive al- uh, song mm-hmm. um, in the mix, and it's reflective of he meets somebody new in real life, Jill Tavelman, who he's going to end up marrying. Yeah. Um, 
so there's there's things like that and then there's some weird stuff like uh he remakes uh behind the lines from duke which was the genesis album before and yet they they sort of I guess they listened to the tape back uh, in high speed and and he was like oh, I kind of like the the sound of a more upbeat version of Behind the Lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, horns. It's what I think he adds horns to it. Yeah, yeah. I personally <laughs> and he will. I personally think he will it's, continue it's, to do it's that. Far inferior to the Genesis I version. I agree, but it's just interesting. And then uh, he has Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah, on there. There's some freedom to this record in a way that once Phil Collins becomes the phenomenon that he becomes, you don't have this same kind of like ramshackle yeah. thing, like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. There are a lot of preconceptions about Genesis, which is, I mean, in England, for instance, I changed label for my own solo album uh, to Virgin because I wanted people to sort of completely divorce themselves from the Genesis thing. There's nothing like a Genesis album. And I wanted people that it can appeal to a lot more people than like, than like Genesis. Mm-hmm. And people that don't like Genesis wouldn't even give it a listen because of the, all the you know, preconceptions and the connotations that Genesis have. Because like before before long, like this 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 is gaining momentum while Genesis has come together and is, is like recording Abacab. Right. So is, they they circle up and they they buy a place together. They, yeah. they buy a place they call the farm. Yeah. Out like, in the country. It's a cow and, shed that they will rec- make into a studio, right? Yeah, because uh, like it's it's not that dissimilar from uh, what Kate Bush did that we talked about. We have no time ties in terms of you know clock watching and how much it's going to cost. Although the, the, the studio does cost an awful lot of money, a to maintain, but also to install. So, um, and the idea was that we always really wanted that. You know, we always wanted somewhere where we could go in there and record those moments that happened spontaneously, as opposed to having them on cassette and trying to recreate them in the studio when you go in in a few weeks' time. So it's a, it's an ideal situation for us, and we come in there day one without any music written at all. I mean, we may have a few things up our sleeves to pull out if it all dries up, but um, basically we just go in there and turn everything on and just sort of, you know, get a rhythm going, get a few chords happening, and then and follow your nose, really, after that. And Padam comes in to help record this one. Right. Which is the first one since Dave Henschel had been with them for like four or five records. Right. You have Padam in, so it's a it's a different sound. Um, they 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 joke about it being a slightly more stripped down punk rock sound for Genesis. <laughs> it's it's not, you know, it's like, but it even, is a big shift. It's a shift. It's, it's um, a, a, a quote unquote it edgier, more, more live. Yeah, we're very raw live. Uh, the, the Lamb stuff, for instance, Lamb lies down on Broadway. I mean, all that stuff in the rehearsal room sounded really ballsy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got into a studio. And for some reason, either producers' fault or our inefficiency in the studio or immaturity, it just sounded uh, a bit limp, you know, like played into the ground to get it right, by which time there's no life left in it. And so until recently, we haven't really cracked that. And suddenly we all thought, hey, let's do it ourselves, which is what we did with Abacad. And I think, I mean, I know we've just jumped 10 years, but with Abacad, we actually sound like we do in a rehearsal room. Because we produced it ourselves, we suddenly realize there's no need for a middleman. Okay, so what do you think about Abacab? Because I, I, I like I like Abacab a, a lot. Um, it has one of my favorite songs on there. Let's play it. I, you, I know which one you're song you're about yeah. to say. This is the song that when you were trying to convince me to record <laughs> one about these uh, about Genesis, and I had a little bit of you know still that '90s aftertaste. Yeah, what are we getting into? In my mind, you said, Dave, listen to "Keep It Dark." off of Abacab, and I still, after listening to it probably a hundred times, I still can never get when the drums come in. It's so yeah. such an amazing intro. This is it. Yeah. 
Wait, it's about alien abduction, I think, right? Again, Trick of the Tail is also about alien abduction. I feel like it's a Tony Banks song, and he just likes this idea, and so he sort of explores it again. But in this case, it's about a guy who has to make up a story about being kidnapped um, and then let go because the truth is he actually went to another planet, was abducted by aliens and saw a utopia and and can't come back and say that or people will think <laughs> he's crazy. Um, I didn't know that until recently. I just sort of always sang along because it's so hooky to me. I, every element sounds good, and yet it's off kilter. The thing you just said about the timing, there's something that happens. It'll happen in Mama coming up. Also, I think it happens in Turn It On Again, where Rutherford uh, it kind of doesn't have rhythm. <laughs> and. But and, it, it's and a Phil beautiful Collins, mistake. Yeah, it's a beautiful mistake. Phil Collins will zero in on it and as a, a totally rhythmic guy thinks it's interesting and starts playing with it. And as a result, it happens like all the time in Genesis songs. You think the the beat's about to come in or a chord is about to come in and yet it comes in a half second later and you're off kilter and yet it works. It's super effective. Yeah, and I mean, this is why... Re, try, pe- people trying to play Genesis at live bands covering songs it's very difficult because they think right. oh that sounds straightforward and then it's like oh wait a it's second it's super complicated it's in 13, 16 time with an extra two beats every six measures you know it's like it it, it, it um, it's Phil it's a very specific chemistry between these guys yeah we found that since we've all done solo projects that it's easier to do that um, because we can get rid of our own compositions on the solo albums and, and come back with you know, working more as a group because we feel that's what we do best and it's the reason why the group exists is because the three of us enjoy what we can create together because obviously as individuals obviously we can write songs and we can then perform on each other's songs if you like a bit as session musicians which is what we felt a little bit what we were doing on and then there were three um, but there's no real point in doing that I mean you're not you're not gaining that much from being in a group so that we really wanted to get back to writing together as a group because that's where we feel we create something special by the way I think that the the title track Abacab which is just the chords AB you know, yeah um, I think it's an awesome song I agree I agree
else did you like on, on that record? Well, I like No Reply at All, um, which is a, a hit for them. It brings in it's it's the first entrance of horns in a in a Genesis album. That's kind of why I like it because you said you call this or they call it their punk album, <laughs> but it's sort of a punk attitude. Like to bring in horns in a Genesis, the, yeah, it, is like you know. Um, uh, an offense to diehard Genesis fans, and yet they they're they're clearly ready for something new. This is nothing like the old stuff. Um, so yeah, they, they've got the Phoenix Horns in there again, uh, who are part uh, come from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, um, and yet in the video. Those guys aren't there, and and the three uh, Genesis guys are playing horns. You're gonna have to fill me in on some of these videos. I don't, I haven't seen many of them, but I think that there's, um, that's, I mean, I I, I really like Dodo Lurker. I like just it's great, which is kind of like a sweet, also atmospheric, atmospheric, and it sounds it sounds um, uh, even more forceful. Um, on the three sides live. Should we record. play Dodo? Because yeah. I, I, again, it's this thing of like, it's kind of why we're, we're doing these episodes is, is people have, I, especially the albums that we're going to be talking about in this episode. I, I, it just blows me away. It's hit after hit after hit songs you have heard and overheard. And yet there's songs like this. I mean, it, it 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 is falls in line with sort of the whole concept for this album, which is they've got this abstract uh, cover art, nothing like we've seen for Genesis cover art so far. These just primary brush strokes, yeah. Um, and the soundscapes are sort of abstract in that way, it's, and yet hooky. It's it's very hooky, and I think they they haven't lost the. It's I, they say it's it's a little bit more like their live sound, the sound of them, yeah, playing. And by the way, at this point. Um, Chester Thompson on drums and Daryl Sturmer on guitar are kind of the. I, I I don't really understand why they never make them full members because I don't know they're they're here for, they're, they're from here on out and they've actually they're been always there. around yeah they were there on Duke hello this is Phil Collins who's that hello Phil I'm curious is Chester and hello curious <laughs> I'm curious is Daryl and Chester going to be with you again this time around I hope so <laughs> they were here last night no they're they're going to be with us they're part of the group. Really, I mean, um, although they don't play on the albums, which is right. it's, that's more strategic than. Well, you know what? Threw it off, I guess. And then there were three, you know. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that, on the albums, I mean, we still are a three-piece group, but it's just uh, on the road, obviously, it's... Um, I see. I see. I have a suggestion for a Thanksgiving song. Oh, you do? Oh, what's that? Over the fields and through the woods To grandmother's house we go You ever hear that one? No, but if you want to come along and you can sing it. <laughs> Over the hills and through the woods. Yeah, yeah, uh, that sounds like the beginning of a porno movie. <laughs> Uh, not, not really. But. No, okay, oh, no, we'll, we'll edit it. Who Done It is the song on there that everyone kind of likes to dump on. And, couple, and they love it. They love it. There, there's a great B-side called uh, You Might Recall that people don't understand why they didn't put that on there. Man, no, on, Man on the Corner is on there. Man on the Corner is good. I don't know, it's good, but it doesn't sound like Phil Collins' solo. Do you think that with the success of your single solo album that people that maybe bought that will now listen to Genesis who hadn't been listening to Genesis before? <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people, um, hopefully the people that like Genesis will like this album because yeah. there's still a lot of Genesis, I mean there's still a Genesis thread running through it. But uh, there is an awful, you know, because we're producing ourselves and because it's been like a year and a half since the last album, we've changed some of our musical, some of the writing, you know, yeah. just, just because the water goes under the bridge. Mm. And, um, and on the hand, um, and basically, the, the sort of the music is, uh, could appeal to a lot of people that actually didn't actually like Genesis or don't like Genesis, yes. you know, which the bit therefore it'd be very nice if people actually so, looked at it. You know, right. So if you don't like Genesis, go and buy this album. Anyway, yeah, because you might like <laughs> it, you know what I mean? You might like it, I think okay. you do, you know? And while they're recording it, though, Banks was like, we right. wanted him to do well, we didn't want him to do that well. That's the, his his line, and I mean, how could you do better than Phil Collins? I didn't realize this. He's maybe, blow. He's exploding as they're recording. Maybe this album. you knew this, but I did not actually know this. That when when his work with Genesis, his work with other artists, as well as his solo careers totaled, he had more U.S. top forty singles than any other artist in the nineteen eighties. It's always um, embarrassing when you hear about something like that because it always looks like I wanted it like that or something. You know, that I didn't know that, but I believe it. Michael Jackson. Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, Prince, that includes all of them. Is it because it's because of Genesis and Phil? I mean, the guy is <laughs> I came across this quote today that was fantastic, which is um Peter Gabriel calls Phil Collins uh uh the workaholic's workaholic. Are you a workaholic? I enjoy work. Do vacations make you nervous? No, I like my vacations now. I didn't have vacations ever until about six years ago. Yeah. And then I actually had one, and my wife made me take one, and I actually did enjoy it. So now I go at least once a year away. I have July and August off with my kids, so that's a big full That's shot. good. You know, when you, when you go into uh, uh, show business, you have certain expectations. Did you get what you expected? I got more than I expected. I never expected anything like this. All I wanted to do was just to play the drums and be respected by other musicians. Yeah, and we'll see that throughout this, that he's, he has an inability to say no, but he also loves to work, and he's probably thinking he'd never get these uh, invitations again. Because right. they go out on tour, they do this great tour, he immediately records another solo record because Face Value's done so well. And right, so- and this is the, sort of the tipping point into um, uh, widespread... Approval. I mean, and you can understand if you have that work ethic and suddenly all the work that you've put in is paying off and you you literally are the person that everybody wants and you're, you are the sound of the moment. You're getting so much approval. It only seems natural that you would be addicted to that feeling <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah exactly and he had the it's minus unprecedented touch. It's and, like- and 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 you know coming from a jazz fusion background uh, somebody who didn't anticipate that this was going to be 
this was going to happen, and it's happening, you would ride it out. And you, you, we talked about this a little in, in relation to Paul Williams. I mean, the fact that he had that many singles that were that big, um, it on just sort of a <laughs> basic aesthetic level, it doesn't quite compute. It, again, there was no one sense of like, you know what, we need a global superstar who's like a really, a <laughs> truly like a middle-aged, you know, balding English guy. Yeah. And like, you know, he gets made fun of a lot. It doesn't really bother me. To be honest, but but I read things like you know balding, stocky. Yes, it is sad, isn't it? Danny DeVito lookalike. I've had, I've had them all, you know. And I guess you know the size and and the hairline are the two things that are usually <laughs> talked about. And that doesn't really bother me, you know. I've always been like this, and uh, that's the way it is. So I don't really think I'd ever thought about changing anything. Don't change a hair of it. Not no. a hair of it. No. He looks like uh, he always looks like the guy, the the henchman in Help. Uh, the, he's got that puggy yeah, yeah, yeah. English thing down. Right. But he's got kind of a like a low tier gangster, British gangster. Yeah. Right? Well, he there's one of the jokes about that he that goes on. Once he does get some fame, he wants to develop a Disney version of the Three Little Bears starring. Him, Bob Hoskins, and Danny DeVito. It never happens, but it's like he it gets ha- close it though. Gets that's clo- <laughs> that's the beauty of it is that what it's it's a later tour that he hits all the talk shows and people say you oh you know you look like Bob Hoskins and and Danny DeVito and Danny DeVito hears it and is like I kind kind of like that idea. <laughs> They they develop it to the point that Kim Basinger is at some point going to be Goldilocks. Like it's almost going to happen in true Hollywood well, fashion. We were denied something there, perhaps, or, or spared, or something. spared. Um, but so he goes back and he immediately records uh, "Hello, I Must Be Going," which right. Um, and then sort of in between, so that's eighty. We're going to get this by this with the timeline. There's so much happening in Phil Collins' career during these next like six or seven years. There's no way we're going to get this timeline. No, but th- right. this this little break between <laughs> the three week slight, break. Yeah, exactly. Three week break um, between Abacab um, and Hello, I Must Be Going. Uh, he. <laughs> He produces Glorious Fool for uh, John Martin. Um, he uh, drums on Pictures at 11 and then later the Principal of Moments uh, for Robert Plant, um, which Robert Plant is, it's hard to remember, but like Bonham dies in 80, In Through the Outdoor was 79. So by 82, he's only been, like Zeppelin has been dead for only like two-ish years and Plant doesn't know what he's up against. And Phil is blowing up. And Plant is like, kind of, help, help, help me. Give me, give me a foundation for what's next for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he also produces Ad, uh, Adamant, uh, Puss in Boots. I didn't realize he had, I mean, that's another big hit. And that's a good song. That's a really good song. Let's, let's play that song. Cool. I've got it here. Nice. That 
I mean, that's a great song. It's a good song. I did, he also does this, the other one he does that he produces for Adam Ant is called Strip, um, which is exactly what you think it's about. And uh, but there's a the, there's a female like spoken word part that's done by Anna Fried Linkstad from ABBA. And as people may rec- may recall, Duke was recorded in Polar Studios in Sweden, in Stockholm, I believe, mm-hmm. and which is the ABBA Studios. And uh, ABBA is not broken, quite broken up yet, but they're they're really reaching the end of the line there. I think the Visitors comes out in '82, maybe. I think so. That sounds right. Fantastic record. But um, yeah. the uh, but Anna Fried wants to do a um, she she's been going through a divorce with Benny Anderson. Yep. Uh, you know the guy who wrote most of the music for ABBA and uh, the bearded one, and. Uh, so face value like speaks to her on this deep level. Evidently, she listens to it for eight months straight. I know. I think that's. By the, the way, that's probably hyperbole. But a couple things about it's believable. He goes and records. There's something. There must be something going on. Right. Oh, sorry, something's going on. It was great. It was fantastic. He's a very nice person, very gentle, very efficient, very warm-hearted. I really love him. And it was different than Abba's music, you think? Yes, I hope so, because I aimed to that. It should be different, otherwise it wasn't worth doing it, you know. And I think that Phil added something to it, that uh, it's not an number sound, it's something completely different. He's a different sort of a person. Yeah, but I think he he devotes his life to music. As I know, he's always working. I love this record. I think it's so cool. It's it has like a almost like a pencil drawing of her face that yeah. looks very doesn't really look like her. Um, but if people want to know, like uh, part of we're going to be talking a little bit later about Collins's drums, they get sampled a lot, and you can tell why. Here's I know there's something going on, which is the title track. He produces this record of hers, and I love it. One of the things that I didn't realize, a connection to one of our other episodes, Brian Ferry submits a song. They like, you know, Anna Fried, Abba, of course, is another global force here. And they ask, um, you know, so if, if he's being asked to work with Robert Plant and Abba, these are the 
two of the largest uh, forces in the entire world commercially. And so um, a call goes out for material, and Brian Ferry puts in a song called The Way You Do, which is... It's a great, it's only recorded by her. Fairy never recorded it. Roxy never recorded it. I love it. But they, he's not the only one. Uh, Stephen Bishop, Rod Argent, uh, Russ Ballard, Giorgio Moroder. That's a good song. The Turn to Stone song? Yeah. Um, really good song. And evidently, uh, rumor is that Elvis Costello had a song rejected. <laughs> is that a fact? Yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> That's too bad. I would love to have heard that. Everything that comes out of those sessions sounds great. Yeah. I. I so he brings Hugh Padham along and the Phoenix Horns. <laughs> yeah. He knows his formula. He, he's, he's already got his formula going on. So that comes out. It's a. It's a big hit. And the the um, again, when people try later on in the you know the two thousands and the two thousand tens like to convince you about Phil Phil Collins, a lot of people point to this era where he is this gated drum sound people got so sick of it and now they're they can't get enough of it and right Collins now, yeah, right is the one who's his he's he combines like the forcefulness of live drums with this hyper compressed sound that makes it sound electronic and there's so much force in that like there really is i mean it's it's a it's a great sound we really. didn't even talk about the drum filling in the air tonight i was thinking about it actually on the way here that it is a bit of sorcery I mean, it's sort of amazing that I've heard that song so many times, and yet every time that drum hits mm-hmm. in the middle of the song, I'm totally in. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm he, like, he this is so it for good. so long, for so long. That's one of my favorite songs on the album. But I always felt, well, that's not definitely not a single because. For a start, it's like a joke. You've got to wait till the end to hit a punchline, you know? And especially in, in this country, there aren't that many people that are prepared to take chances with people saying, what the hell is this? And turning the dial, you know? And it takes a long while to get going, but it delivers. And it's kind of thing, once you hear it once, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, but you wait till you hear the end, you know? And I'm not saying the end is the best bit, but it, it has to get there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, a lot of the times... I had to edit it a bit because obviously, you know, 535, which is what it is on the album, I had to edit it down to 420. Because if you see 535, people will fade it out after three or four minutes. It hasn't even gone anywhere, you know. You should get the old trick that Phil Spector did with, um, he lost that love and feeling. It was really 352, mm-hmm. and he wrote mm-hmm. 304 on the yeah, record, yeah. and they faked everybody out. Right. You I'll do that, actually. Do you watch reaction videos on YouTube to people who've never heard it before? It's they, great. And then they've got out. the, you know, the deer falling down the slide <laughs> thing, the, all the memes around it that are so great. Um, uh, okay, so he's, he's, he's doing these guest spots. And also, I just wanted to say that originally the single version because Ertugan was like, uh, you need to have your drum sound in the beginning so that the original 
uh, single version of In the Air Tonight had drums through the front half. I didn't know that. And eventually he removed them, which was his original vision, so that the, it has more power. It does. It, I mean, it works way better. Yeah, come to find out, that song in the air tonight has been was sampled by Tupac, was sampled by Nas, sampled by DMX. Like it makes a major splash. The sound of it. I mean, it's essentially the the title song, the Jan to, Hammer, to to Miami Vice, uh, and as a result, I mean, one of the biggest television shows uh, of the mid eighties. I mean, at this point, it hasn't come out yet, but um, now there's a visual associated with that song, and not only a visual. Like at the time, Don Johnson is the coolest dude of all time, right? Officer Tubbs, say hi to Elvis, former mascot of University of Florida football Gators. Currently, he's a watchdog and resident dope sniffer of the St. Vitus Dance. He got benched his senior year for taking a little chomp out of a Georgia free safety. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey call him off, man. I, I don't even like how to get his shoes. Hey, 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 don't talk like that, man. You're going to hurt his feelings. Don't mind him, Elvis. He's from New York. Everything cool about the 80s is associated with that song. It, it feels a little bit like an accident, too. Because, um, again, he wasn't planning on it. There's For sure. a lot of pain. The vibe, that's what a lot of the rappers talk about, is you can't imitate that feel to it. I right. think even, I mean, uh, Kanye West talks about wanting to summon the, the Phil Collins yeah. melodies and the Phil Collins vibe on 808 and Heartbreak. Which, he gets there. I mean, that, that album does have that vibe now, now that you say it. Why would she make calls out the For some some reason, Phil crosses over into the R and B community in a way that not a lot of white artists do. He has a great blue eyed soul voice. I mean, yeah. I, I, Daryl Hall and Phil Collins are two guys that like get away with it. It's like Michael Bolton tries too hard. Yeah, definitely. Phil Collins is uh, 
emulating a sound and yet he's still making it his own i guess that's the thing is that you don't feel like it's a copy well hello i must be going is a nod to the marx brothers i think right is that right i think that's it's a marx brothers song uh title that's Uh, about his sense of humor too yeah his his sense of humor has always been there but it becomes more of a a a selling point as especially with these videos that come out for sure hello i must be going i think is it's it follows the same formula it's not quite as good as face value partly because it's not as fresh but it's got some great moments the big hit on there is you can't hurry love which was an afterthought right again motown hugely important to him um what's your do you have a favorite song off of uh, so i actually like um i don't care anymore it it, it feels like uh, In the Air Tonight, you know, part two. Um, but I think it's still effective. I It has that thing of what you were just saying about Kanye West, of like trying to capture this thing that can't be captured, recaptured. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he's doing here on this second one. He's still... The difference, I would say, perspective-wise, is it's like a second divorce record. The difference is, is that he's, same divorce though. Same, same. That's right. Same divorce, but he's bitter now. Now he's pissed off that he's in this situation. He has to travel to um, Vancouver to to see his kids and doesn't have access, you know, like like he wants. And so it's it's a little bit more. Uh, vicious or or darker um and that's why you can't hurry love is so essential to this album is because it's it it is it's an afterthought it's 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 meant to be a single to complement the actual sort of darker elements of of this album i like the song don't let him steal your heart away you were lonely and you needed a friend and he was there at the right time with the right smile just to show you someone I love it. I mean, it's that's got a little Paul Williams vibe to it. Little Paul McCartney, some Paul that's Williams, true. and you know, one of the things you'll notice about this is like, unlike the Genesis material, this could not possibly be more straightforward. I mean, it's like I don't I mean, care that, anymore. That the, that's what the song is about. <laughs> uh, that song is "Don't Let Him Steal Your Heart Away." It's like he's saying, like, "I'm not moving." Is another is another song that's this like, B side that people love, but it's really about how he's not gonna. He's, He's emotionally so raw for an Englishman. Yeah. Especially from the Genesis milieu. Yeah, right. Where it was all so decorative. You know, right. so, there's so much artiness and sometimes, like, you know, just a little bit of um, smokescreen going on. But he's, uh, he's from the gut. <laughs> and people like that. It's like, Phil's sad and he's going to tell us all about it right now. You know? <laughs> um, what I, I mean, that's another side of him that I kind of love, which is that song just now has a, an 80s rom-com uh, vibe to it. 
you know, easily these these songs can can fit into the soundtrack of a lighthearted romp. Um, <laughs> and then where there's some heart, where there's some heartbreak, of course, uh, you know, three quarters of the way through. Do you know? Do you care? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this and bold do you emotion. Care? I always think that the ballads <clears throat> in America are, are sure fires. You know, I mean, that's. I mean, uh, this is a man with experience. A man with experience in America. <laughs> But I mean, having said that, I don't think that's, it's, an, it's a negative thing. I just think it's, it's a kind of, a, I, I call it my, a cheap shot. I mean, I, I don't write ballads on my own. I don't write ballads to be hits. I just write songs because I happen to like slow songs. And uh, there's, you know, I, I write slow songs, I write fast songs. But they tend to release slow songs uh, because, you know, they seem to be surefire hits. I mean, just if you, if you release a ballad in America, it would much more chance of doing well than than something with a bit of pace. He's drumming on these uh, Robert Plant records, and he goes on tour. He's so he's, he, he's he's becoming such a phenomenon that he just wants to be a drummer again. Yeah. So he goes on. He goes on like <laughs> he's like this is classic. Like he doesn't have much to do, so or he doesn't want to face his own personal life, is what he says in his book. Which is and so he goes on like an eight week tour as Robert Plant's drummer. But what do you do? You, uh, those early Plant records, the first one sounds like uh, Zeppelin a little bit. Yeah, he's feeling his way out. However, uh, the principle of of moments... um, The song. There's one song on there. Well, in the mood. I'm in the mood. mood. (laughs) I'm in the mood. Well, actually, that's a good song to play because... He's um, playing drums on it. uh, Not only that, but... it it goes after that vibe we were just talking about. It's very atmospheric. His his um, his early solo stuff, actually, his solo stuff through the through the early nineties um, is atmospheric in that face value way. Now in Zen and um, uh, the the one where he starts to sample Zeppelin. Uh, uh, he starts to sample his own stuff. His stuff. I from like the 70s. now and Zen. That's a good. Record. But now and Zen's a really good record. Um, of course, Big Log, which is the worst album. <laughs> the worst I mean, title. song title of all time. I mean, what are you, <laughs> Big Log? I'm sorry. There's nothing subtle. Or did someone in the marketing department be like maybe we should not call it Big Log? <laughs> I actually feel like sorry. there's a good possibility that that's Robert Plant's sense of humor that he's okay. like, but maybe not. I bet that was a good tour. That was a good show to to go see. In I mean, he says he's, it pays off later when he's uh, Robert's always calling him up to yeah. get some help about uh, about beer or cocktails. Robert Plant said it's t- <laughs> he said it's tough to get you to uh, pick up thirty a tab things for a you round. didn't know about Phil Collins coming out right now. <laughs> this is this is very unfair of Robert Plant to say. I was with Robert last night, in uh-huh. fact, and. Uh, 
he insists that I'm stingy. Now, I've never, I've never once seen him buy anybody a round of drinks. I mean, let's hear it. You hear it first on VH1. Um, no, it's very strange. Um, he said that. I, re I read that when he said that. I thought, well, you know, because he said it as a joke, in yeah. fact. But uh, people do believe what they read. And then is it, it's back to Genesis, right? Yeah, 1983. Uh, the album Genesis, self-titled album. Um, I love this album. It's Rutherford says it's like his, you know, it banks his favorite Genesis record, or at least of this era, is Duke. And Rutherford says that this is his favorite. And I've come around on it majorly, partly because I think the song Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea is a real, what do they call it? A Latter day masterpiece. Mm. It's, uh, but there's nothing on here that I don't really... Well, for a well, second, we got to talk about um, what that is. It's about a burglar who uh, goes to a house <laughs> to steal some stuff. Uh, turns out that house is haunted, and he gets uh, held uh, captive in the house and forced to listen to ghosts moan about old stories. So again, it's not... They, when you're back in Genesis world, it's not... Hard it's your Tony's sleeve. world. Let's, let's be honest. It's, it's Tony's world. <laughs> Fortunately, singles are just so important. Unfortunately, I was just want to get this one in. Um, you I want to push, if possible, in this country, I think there should be a combined chart of singles and albums because then you wouldn't have this incredible pressure to have hit singles all the time because, you know, the top, normally, the top album, particularly if it's its first week out, will be top of the chart because it's selling, out selling any single. Um, and that's really what's important. I mean, people are going out there and spending six, seven quid or something on, on an object rather than a water fiver. I don't know what it was cost these days. Well, for a long time, actually. But um, whereas a single, you know, which is a, it, it, it's strength in depth, you know. It's a very important thing, you know. And people's, uh, I think it's a shame because I think something like, although I think I like Sledgehammer very much, you know, I think it's a shame that this album is going to be much more successful worldwide than his last album which I don't think it's quite as good as, in my opinion, though I like the new album very much, I probably would say that the previous one was better. And it's purely because there was no single on that one, you know? I mean, we're talking now about somebody else, but it equally well could apply to us, you know? But you have, I mean, I mean, even the way that Mama starts out, that's the very beginning of that record. So I was listening to, uh, or I was, was watching one of these, um, you know, retrospective Genesis documentaries that came with one of their box sets or whatever. Um, there's a lot of them, and they're all really good. But one, one of the, uh, like the head of their fan club, 
uh, talked about going into a record store and that album playing. And he's like one of the biggest Genesis fans in the world. It was the, you know, the day it came out and he was going in to, to buy the new Genesis album and it's playing that part. Uh, you know, mama is playing and he, he doesn't even have the first thought that that's Genesis. And mm. I just thought, Oh, how cool is that? That these guys are always looking to shift the, the sound every Having time. A they, bit of a they rethink. <laughs> Having a bit of a rethink. But what works on a Genesis song? It was a big hit in England, you know, top three song. In in America, it um, didn't make the top 70, I don't think. It, no. no. It was a miss. You got very good reviews for it, didn't you? We got good reviews for the album. For that song? For, for having sort of courage to release Mama as a, as a new Genesis direction, putting R. Yeah, I, th- I thought it did better, but maybe it didn't. No, it didn't. It was, it was just a That's always a big hit. Phil talks about, especially with Mama, that you know he's sounding stuff out. That's the way he writes lyrics, and as a result, many of the songs don't make sense. Um, but uh, you know, they just take elements that they like. They talk about in this song the the laugh that he does. You know, the <laughs> I did not know this. Do you know what it, where it's from? Yeah, Grandmaster Flash is the message that they were listening to that and thought it was so cool, that element. And so they're like, let's try it out. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep them going under. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep them going under. <laughs> and it was also about the sound they were getting from the vocals. And that's why he, he hits the like to touch and feel you know he loved the echo sound and so that's why it's sort of sung that way i don't think i I didn't know that no i just home by the sea has got that i mean that ominous vibe my my, one of my favorite songs on here uh well banks loves silver rainbow i think it's pretty good but just a job to do i think it's awesome oh that's a great song i'm gonna play a little bit of that That's for me such a good song. It's a 80s. dry run for Invisible Touch there, but it's so for, for sure. Yeah. But for me that that sound right there, that's the best thing about 80s Genesis. Is that scream and that drive. Yeah. When they get it going right always 3 quarters of the way through the song like you're in 100%. Like there's there's nothing better about that sound. There's a band, they're a band that, you know, they've always been about dynamics which means that they're into the rise and fall and tony banks especially is interested in creating these crescendos and so they just took that rise and fall stuff that they'd done of you know and the supper's ready for 23 minutes and they they compressed it into a 6 minute song and you have these um you can also you can hear on that song you can hear colin singing more boldly than he ever would have you know on wind and Wuthering. But I mean, listening back to it, I mean, I was singing the tunes and I, there was a tune to sing and I had to stick with it. But getting the soul out. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I can't, which is why I guess singers like to sing their own lyrics. Yeah. Because it's, unless you actually sing, it's not easy to, um, to write words. I mean, Tony writes words, for instance, that look very good written down, you know, and to read, but they don't, they're not easy to sing. And it's, uh, and Mike is somewhere between Tony and me. It's all kind of comes together. I, again, I 
I'll say this. I prefer, I just prefer Genesis to solo Phil Collins. Like that cards yeah. on the table. Like I would listen to this nine out of 10 times over some of the, and I love, I, I, I've come to really appreciate some of the solo stuff, but the added element I, at first, when I was younger, I thought, oh, it's all just Phil Collins. And then you listen right. to it, it's like, the Genesis is a very different beast. No. And clearly like they serve different purposes for him, right? He, he, he gets to do one thing as a solo artist, and then he gets to come back to Genesis. That's why they're they're sort of they're commingled, and they're so essential to you know the whole story. There's there's no one without the other, really. It's he's ping ponging between these two situations for uh, ten plus years. Yeah. I mean, those and these songs are charting throughout late 80, 83 and early 84 but I mean if you think he doesn't have an album out in 84 but does he ever have two huge singles on his own name uh, which are that's the year that Against All Odds comes out right on the soundtrack well hold to, on we got I, I got we just have to mention how regrettable uh, Illegal Alien is oh <laughs> Get off of it. No, every time in every review you read about this record, they're like, and then there's the joke that should have stayed in the studio called Illegal Alien. Well, I don't know if you've seen the video, but it's I, even worse. I haven't seen the video. I remember it vaguely from when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I remember there being a, did that, it's one of those, did that really happen kind of moments? It's absolutely that. We'll let you watch it for yourself and create your uh, your own judgment. It just doesn't, it doesn't stand the test of time. It does not. St- that's, that's right. That's right. And uh, another thing that you, uh, you said about Collins evolving as a uh, as a lead singer and vocalist. The difference is that on many too many on uh, and then there were three. Banks has to convince um, uh, Phil that it's okay to sort of scream "Mama" in ma- many too many, and then yet here in the song "Mama," he's screaming and cackling at the top of his lungs. So there is a, a full shift. Well, so after so that record, which is again, it's, it does have that glaring spot of illegal alien, um, but <laughs> and that's all, which is huge. That was actually the first time I remember noticing Genesis as a kid of, of hearing this sound, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's really hooky and really interesting." Is Tony to, Banks to trying to do Rocky Raccoon? Is what he says. Is that right? Yeah. That makes sense. It's I find that song kind of irritating, but the um I do not find the song irritating, which is the one I was trying to yeah, segue yeah, yeah. into. I know. No, it's because it stopped you in your tracks. No, so the those songs are still charting and everything. Uh when when in eighty four, a song that he had written but not completed for face value, right. the, um he completes and it keep continues to he like has to change the lyrics constantly to fit the 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 title of the <laughs> film, it's a forgettable <laughs> film called Against All Odds. Which oh, shows I don't know about that. Jeff Bridges. I mean, right? I mean, it's, it's not forgettable. What is it you don't like exactly? Uh, football players, tacos, or beer? I like tacos and I like beer. Rachel Ward is, is beautiful. I confess uh, to never having seen it. Jeff Bridges and James Woods. James Woods is, is so watchable. My dad that. had the single for this, the, the 45 single, and it had the, the on the cover of the single, it was like, you know, had the picture of them kissing on the oh, beach, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is, right. you know, very it strong, does a lot strong imagery for a young a man. A young man. <laughs> uh, everyone's sort of completely soaked. Yeah, right. But against all odds, I love that song. I think it's just, um, I'm, as a solo artist, yeah, people might come at me because of In the Air Tonight. I think it's the single greatest song. How can I just let you walk away? Just let you leave without a trace When I stand 
10 years ago, the radio show This American Life did a, a show about breakups, and the, the host, uh, Starly Kine, found herself going through a breakup with a, with a man, and she just listened to Phil Collins over and over again, and so she got so obsessed, she wanted to write a breakup song, so she ended up getting to call Phil Collins, and he gets on the phone, he's himself, but no one has heard from him in a little while. Yeah. But she talks about, you know, how can you just let me walk away? I mean, that those, what a... Yeah, just pound you. And of course, I, she probably talks about this in that um, episode, but, um, you know, you don't really hear breakup songs until you've broken up and you're driving in your car and then one comes on and suddenly they're the most profound things in the world and and you understand the meaning of the song when you never understood before. And this is... A hundred percent, one Absolutely. of those songs. The lyrics are sort of what what, what happened, really. I mean, that's, that's what I did. How do you write those kind of lyrics and excuse this question without being self-serving? You know what I mean? You you don't want to say to people, "Look, this is what I'm going through." Everybody sit up and notice, but rather take this kind of situation. And let's face it, a lot of people go through divorce yeah. and uh, and breakup of marriage with or without children and say, hey, if this is happening in your life, maybe you'll find something of value in what I've written and put in my music. Well, some, I mean, a lot of people have said, it's really nice, you know, it's, it's conversational. The lyrics are conversational. You, you know, there'll be a song and someone will say, well, that's that's what I felt. And it's nice that it's, you know, you feel it too. And I mean, I actually didn't really specifically set out to write an album that said... Uh, Hey, this is what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. How about that? Mm-hmm. It was really uh, I just wrote the music, and suddenly I had enough songs to make a record. And uh, I thought, well, okay, why not make a record? So I, I had a little eight-track studio at home. Sure beats calamity the cow. I got to tell you. I mean, you know. Believe me. The the postal service Ben Gibbards thing. It covered this song when I was going through a breakup at one point in my life, and I just. Uh, wallop you know yeah 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 bam you know you just <laughs> cheek to the to the floor <laughs> you're just like a goner like in a cartoon which, which makes it so tough for him to uh watch when it's uh nominated for an oscar <laughs> and ren king uh who is bob fossey's wife i think um performs the song because the Academy, the Hollywood establishment, had no idea who Phil Collins was. This is 1984. What is- Phil Collins in 1984 and like... It's already Gre- it's a huge deal. Gregory Peck and like, you know, uh, 70-year-old directors and producers uh, in, in Hollywood had no idea who Phil Collins was. And so, and Phil Collins is like, do you want 
like I'd happily, I mean, he's, he's a cinephile, you know, I'd love loves, to do this. I'd love to do this. And, <laughs> and they send a note back that says, uh, we politely decline, uh, Phil Cooper's, uh, request to perform his song. They don't even get his name right. And instead it's this horrible performance of Against All <laughs> So Odds. every time I guess on the subsequent tour when he'd produce it, he'd be like, I'm sorry, Anne Ryan King isn't here tonight to sing my <laughs> song. So you'll have to make do with me. How can I just let you walk away? Just let you leave without a trace. When I stand here taking every breath with you. Mm-hmm. You're the only one who really knew me. So take a look at me now. Well, there's just an empty space. And there's nothing left here to remind me Just the memory of your face So take a look at me now Cause there's just an empty space And you're coming back Because he is so huge, I mean, he goes on talk shows constantly um, uh, uh, that year and the next and gets to tell all these stories. Hi, Phil. Oh, hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Did, Thank you, you, did you see uh, Anne Reinking last night sing your song on the Academy Awards Against All Odds? Yeah, I did. Wasn't she great? You know, I originally wrote the song for her, you know. No kidding. I did, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what are you doing there? Oh, I'm just trying to finish some lyrics that I've been trying to write, you know. I'm just I'm looking for that final little thing. You know, looking that, for kind of a... Yeah, that final... Ah! Ah! Oh, my God! Ah! 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 Studio! Perfect! Hey, no bad, Tuffy! Hey! Way to go, Puffy. So there's another a smash hit that's sort of surprising, which I didn't oh. know was a co co th- thing. Uh, in 1984, he um, one of the vocalists, uh, Phil Bailey from um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, he um, he keeps working with these horns, and he loves Earth, Wind, and Fire. And so Philip Bailey, you know, they decide to write a song together and record. In yeah, Switzerland, I think they record. It's uh, if you've seen, you should check out the video. It's like it uh, once again plays like a rom com montage. It's like it's behind the scenes, um, the making of the, of a video, but it's it almost plays like two guys falling in love. <laughs> it's it's kind we haven't of amazing. mentioned the title of the song. Easy lover. It's an easy love. Uh, we should play that.
I never in a million years thought that that wasn't just Phil Collins. I mean, 100%. I'm right there with you. A huge hit. I frankly, had no idea. I and actually, that was some of the tension on uh, Phil Bailey's side of things that, like, his, I think maybe Earth, Wind, and Fire and his, his producer or, or, or management um, were suspicious of this because they were afraid that it would actually make him sound too white and, and, um, ruin him for his audience. Yeah. Um, in, in 1984 is it what we're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, pretty, I mean, they're, they're not wrong. It's a funny, there's another thing that's going on here and it's, it's segues into, uh, who's next here. But, um, Phil Collins is often getting confused as a uh, drug dealer. <laughs> Have you heard that? That like Earth, Wind, and Fire uh, uh, thought he was a drug dealer for Philip Bailey or something, and so they tried to like push him off the bus. And there's, and then it, the same was true of Eric Clapton uh, early on. He also thought he was John Martin's uh, drug dealer, and so for the longest time, he didn't know that he was the lead singer of Genesis. I mean, until they finally like start palling around together. Because I mean, when he was. Genesis, he was not the face. Like, there's no face of Genesis other than Peter Gabriel. I mean, he's he's just the drummer and the singer, but he's not. He gets pushed out in front in this way. E- Easy Lover to me, I, I find the song very annoying. But really, I don't like uh, Easy Lover that much. I, I'm not an Easy Lover lover. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why I was gonna uh, uh, say that, bring up the drug dealer thing, is that. That relationship that's building between Phil Collins and Eric Clapton uh, uh, finally becomes a professional thing when um, he is asked to produce Behind the Sun at uh, George Martin's uh, Air Studios for uh, Clapton. Um, and they that's the first time they really work together professionally. Although Clapton, I think, does some guitar work. on. I know he does it on But Seriously, or yeah, But Seriously he does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's it's an interesting crew of people of people uh, playing on Behind the Sun, which is not that great of an album from a guy uh, who didn't really know what his identity was in at this point in time. Post seventies, Clapton is is yeah, and it doesn't doesn't Phil, really have a place in in the landscape. Phil sort of gets blamed for it. I mean, right. It, um, it's interesting. One of the reviews, <laughs> Village Voice calls this album sad and also bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's heavy hitters on here. Of course, my man, Greg Fillingains is on there. Uh, Mark Knopfler, the Wait, Toto is that the guys. Wait, they do behind the mask on there? Or is it? No, Tim? that's August. Okay, that's August. Um, the Toto guys, Lindsey Buckingham, Ted Templeman. Um, wow, some Van Halen. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot over. of uh, well of sound tie-in on Behind the Sun, but it's got uh, that song "She's Waiting," which um, is like the only hit from the album. But it also has it's an <laughs> it's another <laughs> divorce record because Eric Clapton and Patty Boyd are splitting up at the time. I mean, and that's it's a storied romance if ever there was one. Yeah, exactly.
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't really go very deep into his work with Clapton. So I, I, I listened to a couple of the so- that song, Pretending. Is that the, the next That's one? That's on uh, Journeyman, which is like late '80s. Unfortunately, I listened to a lot of Clapton when I was a kid, and this this August and Journeyman, I listened to a lot, and I have this sort of a nostalgic attachment you, to you the do. sound. Okay, um, I know I. I know that it's bad, and right. yet I can't stop listening to it. I just don't know it. I just don't know it. So I, and I will never claim that it's good. I will claim that it's it's good. Is there a song we should hear? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Well, he goes on from from the Clapton stuff to No Jacket Required, which is well. There's a there's one little thing that happens right before, and that is that you're going to be on Miami Vice or not. Is that true? Yeah, well, they originally asked me, and I didn't know whether I could do it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think after seeing the show in Los Angeles, and I, I introduced the members of the band mm-hmm. as a lounge lizard, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, sort of, yeah. <laughs> and I think they, they liked it. They liked it, and so they're going to write me as a drug crazed lounge lizard. A guy, a guy, <laughs> a guy working a bar in somewhere in Florida. I think Where? actually a game show host yeah. is actually they're going to adapt it to be a game show host who's. Um, He's on something, <laughs> and most of them are, you know. <laughs> but he's he's pretty good in it, and he's like. Well, he, remember, he's got the acting chops from when he was a kid. Yeah, exactly. And you know, every time he gets roped into any of these projects, people are always like, "Oh yeah, and would you mind writing us a hit too?" I mean, he's like, "Oh, okay, here you go." <laughs> like, I guess I am on the hook for a song guess, too. Yeah, right. So, um, so yeah, 1985, no jacket required. This is the this is the one. This is the one because it's got Susudio and it's got Don't Lose My Number and it's got One More Night, One More Night as a Take I, Me Home. I have a One More Night. I have a you know visceral remembers of like early slow dances to One More Night. Oh yeah, I, 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 I don't like One More Night. I don't either. But um, maybe maybe for that reason. But Take Me Home, he sings on. I mean, he's got Sting and Peter Gabriel. Singing backup vocals for him. Yeah, but my favorite—I think my favorite—I of the singles on there, I'm a fan of "Don't Lose My Number." Hey, some hate for that. I'm song right there with there. you. love that song i've always loved that it's song. again it's got his motown vibe to it yeah um but the the song that i find um long long way to go with sting on the end of it is okay. i think it's beautiful here's the here's the end of it nothing yeah your chicks for free I interesting mean, you think he was like i like that sound that sting sound is a b- background let me a, get it 
It's a beautiful atmospheric song. And yeah. Because most of the songs on here, well, you, you put on No Jacket Required, you'll know all the songs, basically, with maybe one or two exceptions. For sure. And the difference here is that he, he, he says he wanted to make a dance record. And so it's, it's upbeat. It has the album cover has color for the first time as opposed to the sort of simple black and white. And it's, it's an orangey red with his face on there. Um, uh, I guess we didn't really talk about how face value, uh, the reason the cover is his face so closely, um, is that he, he was really trying to bear his soul. If he was trying to find a way to get you as close to him as he possibly could. And, and, all the liner notes are handwritten by him. He would erase and rewrite to make sure that he could fit all the credits, the the legal jargon, everything in is handwritten because he he felt like he was going to put everything into this uh, this solo album. But as a result, it it creates a sort of brand for the Phil Collins stuff. Is that his his big mug is is right on there and then no jacket required is a uh, a twist on the formula by um bringing that red pop and then also it's a it's meant to be a dance record with with susudio susudio comes in for a lot of uh vitriolic uh, rhetoric uh from critics i think i'm just gonna read to you in in 2013, Tom Service of The Guardian wrote, Susudio brings me out in a cold sweat. The production, the drum machine, the inane sincerity of the lyrics, there's no colder or more superficial sound in popular music precisely because it takes itself so seriously. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, but, you know, it's... Well, what's... Uh, catchy what? gibberish is what... Colin seems to have the recipe down to a science. It's... He's having fun. It's... A lot of people say he's, um, and quite rightly, he is uh, maybe woken up with the 1999 by Prince in his head and has written a song just with some other lyrics because it well, sounds a lot like it. And it's hard to even call them lyrics because at this point, you know, we were talking about him sort of sounding out lyrics, having phonetic, like working his way through a song and then figuring out what actual words fit in. In this case, he didn't even bother. What the heck is the deal? <laughs> Now you, now let me just say, you're one of the, probably the biggest, one of the biggest men in music today. In a short You've, way. In, in it, well, <laughs> you've been very, very, very successful in a lot of areas. A lot of music that everybody can't wait to buy. Susu Studio. What does that mean exactly? What were you thinking of when you wrote that? Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> Simple, really. Why don't you take a weenie, man? Those weenies and get out of here. The, um, it's a word that I made up. You know, I didn't even make it up. It just came out of my mouth when I was, you know, recording at home. All right. A word that just came out of your mouth. Yeah. And the world music buying public (laughs) is supposed to put their money down for a word that just dropped out of your mouth. But they laughed at Bebop Alula, you know. Are you sure they laughed at it? I don't know. I wasn't around, but I'm sure that someone must have laughed. Bebop Alula, there was um, 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 which is a big hit as well. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> it's just tutti frutti, I mean. So now you're what, sitting there and you're just sort of phonetically making noise while you write this song. Yes, yeah, so I write the music and then I sing into a microphone, blah, 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 blah. 
Susudio, you know, just because the rhythm of the word felt mm -hmm. so good. And um, and I was originally going to replace it, but I couldn't find a word that meant anything that <laughs> scanned as well. Scanned as well. Uh -huh. So I got stuck with it. So I had to reverse it and think, okay, well, this is the word. What does it mean? So I invented a, a meaning, which is actually a girl's name. So now it becomes the name of a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever, anywhere you've ever been, run into a woman named Susu Studio? But in, no, but in, in nine months' time, you never know. <laughs> I mean, we may have... It's become, because it was used in American Psycho, in this it's right. very central scene, it, it has become... Um, <laughs> emblematic of a kind of soullessness in the 80s right. that um, it, it's unfair to Phil. I mean, he's you listen to it, it's a it's a, a superbly produced uh, commercial song. Right. Uh, it's not what I would put on if I'm having a party, but it's it's Susudio. We're talking about it now. I well, mean, <laughs> yeah, and it was everywhere then. This album is so big uh, that it seems like if he, at, at this point, if he doesn't shift gears and figure out what's new and what's next, people will get very tired They're of They're starting him, to get pretty sick Which of is it. what's going to happen. But, you know, he has a song on here called <laughs> Doesn't Anybody Stay Together Anymore, which is like one more divorce song. In this case, it's about Clapton and Patty Boyd, but he sings it. He has a big faux pas. He's invited to sing. Uh, he's got this actual, like, pretty close relationship with Prince Charles. Mm -hmm. He's invited to sing uh, at uh, <laughs> Prince Charles's 40th uh, birthday, and he sings Doesn't Anybody Stay Together Anymore? And evidently, he was kind of the only person in the room that didn't know that uh, Diana and Charles were literally on the verge of splitting. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> So funny. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, it won't be those last faux pas with them, but he the next thing that I know of after he sort of sweeps all the awards is uh, Live Aid. Right. Now, Live Aid, again, uh, I've watched, I had someone bought me the DVDs of it. I remember when it came on. Live Aid was a, you know, international uh, raising money for, I think, uh, hunger in Africa, right? I think so, yeah, yeah, that's right. I can see that. I can see Africa in the uh, you know the emblem, the Live Aid emblem. So Bob Geldof puts it together, and there's 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 concerts in London and. In I don't trust that Bob Geldof. I'm just gonna put it out there. I don't know what he's up to. Well, somehow Phil gets, he can't. This is this is him not being able to say no. He gets invited to not only play. He did Band Aid for Geldof. He did Band Aid, which was the "Do They Know It's Christmas" song. <laughs> Which I happen to kind of like that song. I, mean, I, I don't. People, people hate that song. I hate that song. Um, tonight, God, it's oh man, it's so. <laughs> so he gets convinced to not only play solo himself, he he's going to back up Sting, 
And it's just sort of a series of yeses and and him managing sort of his own schedule and really somebody else should be managing. Or maybe it's that somebody is always saying yes for him and he's saying yes and the two together like just don't mix. Well, famously, he gets on a Concorde after playing early in London, gets on a Concorde, but he's, he's agreed to uh, be a part of the... There's a Led Zeppelin reunion that happens famously at Live Aid, which they've disowned and sort of written out of history. But Phil is the one who is asked to be the drummer, right. along with there's two drummers. So right, so guy. he's got this relationship with Plant that he thinks is is he's pretty tight with 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 the guy, um, and so he there's all this back and forth about rehearsals and and he feels like he doesn't he'll he'll be able to just pick it up he knows the songs he'll listen on the concord going over he'll be ready um but that's just one uh, he comes to discover that's just one element of zeppelin obviously there's jimmy page uh the jimmy page side of things um and evidently when page and plant get together a certain alchemy happens and moodiness and plant solo is not uh, does not have the same attitude towards things that well, he does with What I think he Paige. says in the, in the autobiography is that Robert Plant turns into a howling monster with anything related to Led Zeppelin or something like that. He says it in no uncertain terms. He's like, he's the nicest, most agreeable, interesting guy. And then if where Led Zeppelin's involved, he's just a different human being. Right. So there's all this pressure from those guys on, you know, Bonham's gone. And this is the first appearance of these guys together again. And they also, Jimmy Page brought in um, another drummer, the guy from uh, Chic, uh, Tony Thompson. So uh, Phil already has practice uh, because of Genesis of, of, working with another drummer on stage, but Tony Thompson does not. So Doesn't that's already going awry. When he, when he leaves Wembley in the UK, he's not feeling great about his performance with Sting because they rehearsed together, but Sting's like, right before they go on stage, is like, oh, also I like to improvise. Every smile you fake, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Since you go, I'll be lost without a trace. I dream of night, I can only see your face. I'll look around, but it's you I can't replace. I feel so cold and long for your embrace. I keep crying, baby, baby, please. And so that already is puts him in a bad way. Then he gets on the Concord and has to zoom over to Philadelphia to then land in the lap of a Zeppelin, a Zeppelin nightmare, basically. And it really doesn't go well. I mean, you wonder... Plus, he's he's playing drums with Clapton before the Zeppelin thing, and he's singing In the Air Tonight and Against All Odds, and then he's playing with Zeppelin. Phil Collins has probably been up for, uh, I would think, about, what, 16 hours now Phil Collins has been on go. He's yet to do his own set, and we have actually got pictures of Phil Collins, I believe, when he arrived in America. Am I right in saying that? We show us some pictures here. This is the helicopter, which actually took him to Heathrow Airport and landed him alongside Concord. So this was during this afternoon, straight after Phil had done his set with Sting at Wembley Stadium, into one of Noel Edmonds' helicopters, and I think it was actually Noel flying that one, uh, off and across the tarmac. There he is, and there's Concord waiting for him. Well, and Phil off on the plane. How are you? How's it been? Great, yeah. Madness, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's about it. What's the atmosphere like there now? 
It's great, actually, yeah. The weather was really nice earlier, but now it's starting to get cloudy. Everyone's starting to get close together and warmed up, you know. It's like Woodstock on speed, is it? <laughs> it's good fun up there. Everyone's very nice backstage. No egos, nothing. Really good. Listen, whose idea was this whole trip, this Philadelphia idea? No idea. No, it was... Um, we thought if it could be done, wouldn't it be good to do it? And then it went in, we went into the logistics and we found out that it was possible. And then we had to, I mean, I, I didn't want to go just to America to play my own song. So I arranged Eric Clapton's on tour out there and so is Robert Plant. So I rang them up and see if I could play with them. So give me something to go for. And um, it's just nice to be involved in as much as possible, really. You know, I'm a lunatic, you know, really. It's like a marathon day. When we talk about workaholic, there's something that's truly manic. Yeah. I mean... Oh, we've even forgot to mention there's like a brief Genesis reunion in 1982. But oh, that's, right. That's a different. Uh, we don't have time to tell that story, but they, um, you, you know, if the Zeppelin reunion had gone well, we might have had a completely different outcome of this Led Zeppelin story. Yeah. As a result, they wouldn't get back together and play until 2007, I think. But right. it's uh, it's a, it goes so poorly that like everyone wants to forget about it. And he's kind of blamed for it. Right. Phil Collins on stage for what is now being called the Led Zeppelin reunion. This is the one that a lot of people have been waiting for. Uh, I'm not going to give away the whole set, but I will tell you this. That's rock and roll, and they're doing Stairway. Let's go to the stage. His peers are sort of like, what's with this guy? Like, yeah. showing off. He's the one guy that's at both shows and it's just like everywhere. And it's like, he's really what is this, to the Phil show? People the wrong way. Right. And he's, <laughs> so uh, he takes a little, I mean, he doesn't really take time off because he goes immediately <laughs> no, he to the studio with Genesis <laughs> to record yeah. Invisible Touch. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, we've got some nice solo stuff from the other guys happening. It's the first Mike and the Mechanics album in 1985. Which I didn't dig deep into. I'd love to get more into Mike and the Mechanics. Well, that has Silent Running uh, on there, which you would know it if you hear it. And I think All I Need is a Miracle. All I Need is a Miracle. Smash. I said, Tony's doing solo stuff like all throughout. He does the Fugitive in '82. He never really hits his, you can understand why. You gotta was, think that like he's so because kind of the brains behind Genesis, and he he's single hit. He, Peter Gabriel's so is in '86 has smash hit after hit. It has In Your Eyes. Um, it has Sledgehammer. It has Big Time. You know all this stuff. You gotta think that Tony Banks, like even Mike Rutherford, has, has hits. All I need is a miracle. Not, and and the Living Years. Huge, huge, and like Tony Banks, 
just can't make it happen. Well, I mean, some Solo would say wise. that he's just... He's the voice of Genesis. And he's also... He's, his music's a little sophisticated. I mean, he... he He's, he's, he yeah, becomes so a hit Peter Gabriel's. Machine. You're right. What am I talking about? He's just you kind of are happy that Tony never like quite gets that solo acclaim <laughs> because then he'd become more insufferable and you kind of like him to be a little grumpy and dissatisfied. Well, that's true. If people's pockets are being stretched a bit because uh, obviously we share an audience a bit with Peter um, and also Mike and the Mechanics who are doing quite well, you know. So uh, these things are all sort of pulls, and I think a person say, well, rather than buying the, the Genesis single as well as the Genesis album, I'll wait a couple of weeks and I'll buy the Peter Gabriel album or something. But Invisible Touch, hey, you can't get any bigger than that. I mean, nope. you got you got uh, Invisible Touch, the song, which stands up, Land of Confusion, which has those spitting image puppets in the video, which I remember. The song Tonight, Tonight, Tonight <laughs> is one of my probably least favorite Genesis songs. Least? Least. I can't stand it. But I apparently... Oh, my the, God! They say on the... On the, on the uh, on the that there's a midsection that's not yeah. okay. That's All right, I gotta so play amazing. it because it actually but is t- the, the, the lyrics tonight, tonight, tonight. Gonna make it right tonight. We're a long way from you know supper's ready at that point. I don't know what to tell you. That's <laughs> uh, I I they were uh, asleep at the wheel with that. But it's a I huge agree. Hit. But it it's it's actually one of my favorite Genesis moments. Is in tonight, tonight, tonight. <laughs> Okay. I know. Convince I know. me. Convince me. It's again. It's that. It's that. That huge climax that they go for. It's the best it right. sound. It's the best sound to me. Is this after the long bridge, which is not part of any sort of single version. Something about the the drums, his voice, and then that's the good part of that song for sure. For me, that Tony Banks little like people, people, people that he's hitting while that climax is happening, like it's the most like joyous thing for me. I um, there's a, the song um, anything she does I, I like, uh, but for me this album oh the, the Brazilian is, is is the close is the closing instrumental and it's it's just badass it's, it is badass you mind they they're no one's better at writing instrumentals like that than these guys no and what a title the Brazilian it is great um, they should make a movie based on the Genesis song the but, Brazilian but for me the song that I didn't know actually before we started prepping for this episode I didn't know Domino. And I oh, yeah. love Domino. Yeah. And I'd sometimes just like text you, just, you gotta go, Domino. It's so good. <laughs> so they, they're still, it's not, 
it's not a, a Phil Collins solo album. It still feels quite different. Um, yeah, it does. I mean, it's, it's overshadowed. His voice is louder. He's singing more in that. Uh, he's more of a character, Phil Collins, at this point. But he's it's it's a good good record. Sometimes I will sing just rubbish, you know, and, so, and sometimes there'll be words that actually do make sense and something like she seems to have an invisible touch, for instance, was something that just came out because it felt like it should be that with the music. And uh, so when you write lyrics, you try and involve some of that, some of the the improvised lines in it. And uh, I mean, but other, other songs, like Anything She Does, we had, and there was no ideas yeah. at all. When there's you know? no ideas, then you, yes, you just start. I mean, we tend to, what we tend to do is we tend to divide the lyrics up between the three of us. And um, there's no particular... We know kind of... We, each of us gets attracted to writing the lyrics for a different kind of song normally, so it's not normally too much of a problem. And we just had... Uh, there were, what, nine lyrics to write, and we wrote three mm. each or something on this one. Yeah. And um, that's so how we normally do it. Which is which? Well, now you have to guess. Also, I mean, they, they are a true MTV band at this point. Every one of these singles, um, throwing it all away, Tonight, 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 uh, even Anything She Does... Uh, Invisible Toucha. They all have videos, and they're all just perfect '80s videos, including anything she does has Benny Hill as a uh, a fumbling security guard. Good evening, gentlemen. Fred Scottle Esquire, your new head of security. Are there any special instructions, sir? Yes, you see, we fired the last guy because too many people were getting backstage, and people we didn't invite too. Yeah, by the time they come off the stage, all the food's gone. Have no fear, Scuttle is here. Security will not be laxative while I'm here, so I promise you that. I've been at this job for 30 years, you know. I've handled them all, I have. 30 years, man and girl. I've, I've, handled, I've handled the Osmonds, I've handled them. The Ink Spots, I've handled them. Herman's Hermits, I've handled them. Uh, Dolly Parton, I had the pleasure of working with her once. Yes. yes. Fred, Fred, look, we're going to rehearse for a video now, right? So if you'll just make sure that no one uh, disturbs us. If anyone comes in without a pass, he will go straight out on his ear. And of course, like, you know, everybody gets in <laughs> thanks to <laughs> Benny Hill, the, the security guard. Um, you got to see it if you love that song. I've I've got to take in all these videos again. The um, I think Invisible Touch is you know as I consider it one of the last gasps. We'll have one more Genesis record we'll talk about in a minute. But listen to the brilliant ensemble playing of Banks, Collins, and Rutherford. You can practically hear every nuance of every instrument. Sabrina. Remove your dress. In terms of lyrical craftsmanship, sheer songwriting, this album hits a new peak of professionalism. Sabrina, why don't you uh, dance a little? Take the lyrics to Land of Confusion. In this song, Phil Collins addresses the problems of abusive political authority. In Too Deep is the most moving pop song of the 1980s about monogamy. And commitment. The song is extremely uplifting. Their lyrics are as positive and affirmative as uh, anything I've heard him rock. It, it it's a, it's a worldwide smash. Um, Phil is still going a mile a minute. They're doing a tour. He does that that great song, "No One Is to Blame," with but but with Howard Jones, the yeah. synth pop guy. I didn't realize that was Collins on drums and back. Me neither. I mean, production. that's the thing. Is like I, I bet you after this, we will still uncover songs that where he plays he plays drums or produces or has some touch. I mean, he 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 plays on uh, Tears for Fears songs. John Cale, Dave Edmonds, uh, Paul McCartney. He yeah. even. 
like you know in in the 20 teens co-writes a song it doesn't make it but co-writes a song with adele it's like phil collins is he does somewhere somehow everywhere there's a lot going on here because he also is about to star in this (laughs) film called buster i said to my manager if um if anything comes up that's worthwhile because i had been getting scripts sent to me anyway but people thought that i should do it i suppose send it to me and uh and David Green, who directed Buster, him and his wife were sitting watching this Miami Vice one night, and um, he said, that's Buster, that's the guy we want to play Buster, because they've been looking for a Buster Edwards for a long time. And that was it, and then day one we started. I didn't really realize it's about Buster Edwards, who was part of the... I haven't watched the movie. Have you watched it? I've watched um, pieces of it. It's like Local Hero, like the Bill Forsyth movies, Housekeeping, mm. you know, all those sort of, in my educating Rita, those are all like the same to it's me. It's about one of the guys who was in the Great Train Robbery. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, Phil gets... He says, I'm in this to act. I want to prove my acting. Like, and he does. Um, yeah, but why don't you also write some songs for it, too, or do some songs? And and he he can't stop doing it, so he gets... He records Groovy Kind of Love, that, which is a cover, cover. but that does really well. And it's, he does... He does the, he meets up at this point with Lamont Dozier of Holland Dozier Holland of early Motown, who is one of his idols and one of my personal idols, too. And I had no idea Dozier was behind. He co-writes and produces Two Hearts. Uh-huh. Two Hearts, uh-huh. just uh-huh. one. Another one of these global smashes. Yeah. And um, it's like, I mean, why? You think at this point, it's 88. You think like people have had enough of Phil Collins already, and yet they haven't. Two Hearts is huge. Huge. Though my favorite song off that soundtrack is one that Phil and Dozier write uh, but, and produce, but they do not sing, which is called Loco and Alcapoco, and it's recorded by the Four Tops. Song. I mean, I, apparently, him trying to explain to Levi Stubbs how to how to sing the song was he just like actually just do it the way you want to do it. <laughs> I was anticipating thinking the song would be unlistenable, and instead, it's, it's super hooky and good. It's great. It's a great song. I mean, with the terrible title, I guess, but it's a really good song. Um, so yeah, where where do we go from here? Because we we're about to go into but seriously, but seriously, 1989. Actually, it's uh, evidently it's among the best-selling albums in UK history. Uh, Another Day in Paradise is this huge international hit. That video actually kind of had an effect on me. Really? I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, I didn't really know some of the stuff that was happening in that video because it's a lot yeah. about Los Angeles and right. the terrible income disparity and poverty going on in America. Um, there's other stuff going on, and you can you can understand. I also didn't know about that song. I didn't know David Crosby was on backup vocals, and I didn't. Me neither. And when I listened back, listening for backup vocals, the backup vocals are masterful. They're oh really unbelievable. Day for you, you 
think Action Bronson says that it's like it's oh. a perfect bed for rapping. Interesting. Um, yeah, but seriously. So, but seriously, what do you think about but seriously? Um, I actually like something happened on the way to heaven. That's one of my. That, that's Should spoiler we play alert. It? Top five. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, let's play it then. I kind of feel like they're Great a sp- chorus. Oh I feel God. like they're a spell. You know, you like you hear you're like if a DJ says like, and next one we got Phil Collins, and you're like, oh boy, <laughs> and then it comes on and it's so forceful and so hooky that you're you're tapping your fingers and you're singing along and you're like, what's going? Why? How did this happen? How did this happen? I mean, he's uh, that that record. I mean, Another Day in Paradise does it does really really well. But for me, I always loved I Wish It Would Rain Down, which I think Jeffrey oh, really? Tambor is in the video for it, and, and, <laughs> what? and it's like a nine minute video. It was a big deal oh, when really? it came out. Um, I remember liking that song a lot, and it's got a Clapton solo on it. Um, but for me, yeah, it's, Another Day in Paradise, yeah, it's 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 good, I guess. Uh, but I I really like the non the sort of uh, the the, the the, the album tracks, I think Find a Way to My Heart is beautiful. All of My Life is Pretty. Colors is good. Do you remember? Um, colors is kind of schmaltzy territory for me. It's, it's not uh, true colors, though. No, no, no. No, it's, but it's him being socially conscious. That's yeah, what it used yeah, to be called. What, socially conscious that's what it is. rock. Yeah. Heat on the Street is another thing. It's, I mean, <laughs> that it's, sounds like a Glenn Fry song. <laughs> it's kind of insufferable, I guess you could say. But it's Yeah, um, I'm starting to like for me, get the, itchy at this point. Something Happened on the Way to Heaven is worth the price of admission on that yeah. I agree. Um, and then 91, can't We Can't Dance. dance. I, we Can't Dance. Excuse me. We Can't Dance. Is it tough kind of getting back in sync, you know, Mike, when you get all back in the studio? Actually, it wasn't. I mean, I know it's, it was five years since the last album, but we actually finished working together in July 87, which is when the last, the last tour finished. Um, not really. I mean, as you say, the way we do it, we just go in the studio. We don't take material in now that we do so much stuff on our own, and we just uh, turn the gear on and kind of cross our fingers, and off we go. And this this time round, actually, it happened very easily. I mean, within about the, so the first two or three days, we had three or four bits of music, and uh, we actually wrote the whole album in about uh, two months, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember the videos for this. We were we were living in Eng- in uh, in G- Switzerland, actually. I remember. Um, the, these are very memorable videos. The Jesus He Knows Me video, yeah, where they're hanging out at the barbecue it's a good with all the video. bikini models. Like that was, I mean, uh, it's it's a well done video. It's a well I done video. I watched it today. I mean, also, it's but this is just, Genesis writing about an actual like lampooning sort of commercialized religion, and in a way that 
The, and they also don't really the, do that. Like it's it's a no, new no. register for them. Some Genesis Seems fans think this, the song "I Can't Dance" is like where they just—it's unforgivable. That song. Well, there's the end where he does the Michael Jackson like <laughs> dance, where suddenly like they're doing the stiff walking dance. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, Phil kind of shows off some soft shoe and and does like the bad like z- unzipping of crotch and and like <laughs> you know that stuff. And it does feel like oh, we've just tipped into. The hate, yeah, the, the the hate that's coming for Phil, um, happens like right there almost. Yeah, no son of mine, I think is a is a is a good song. They're but solid with a heavy heavy duty video. I'll never forget that video. But I, uh, but I, I by and large can't I didn't spend much time with We Can't Dance. The problem is, is that especially with uh, I Can't Dance, it feels like they're poking fun at themselves, but no one's laughing. Yeah. You know, nobody. It's been a while since Visible Touch. Yeah. And right, ninety one. Right. No uh, one's five, laughing. Five it's years. Just kind of like go go away. Yeah. But he doesn't go away. Uh, he decides to um, have another divorce album. He does another very. Everyone's like this song. This album, both sides is. Um, but it's a new divorce. It's a new divorce, and it is very serious. It says Phil Collins is in a serious mood, and uh, it's got the song though. It's got the song called. Um, uh, can't turn back the years. Now, listen. I think this song is very effective. It's one of his great songs. Could have given you everything that you need, but I cannot turn back the years. The perfect love was all you wanted for me, but I cannot turn back the years. It's easier to write sadder songs than it is to write happier songs. Happier really? Things. Yeah. I find it so. Is that yeah. why more songs are sad? Than I think so. There's a, there's a human trait, I think, when, uh, when you're a little bit miserable, you don't put on a happy song to lift you out of it. You tend to put on another one to take you down rather, you know, that kind of thing. Some people have made whole careers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not socially conscious rock. This is... He recorded every single instrument himself. Yeah. It's somber to the point of lacrimose. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's if you like Phil, your divorce rock <laughs> sung by Phil Collins, there's some good songs. Gonna, some well, days he's got a good he's song. got fresh feeling on it. He uh, he cheated oh. on his wife and yeah. uh, with a former 
like old flame. And once again, he's in this situation where he's got a young family in Los Angeles. His other, his first family is in uh, Vancouver. So like all on the West coast of the United States and he's in Europe and it's just sort of another impossible situation. And then he meets up with his third, who will become his third wife, Orianne, <laughs> but he, and they live in Switzerland in the middle of this, and, though, this fax gate happens right with his second wife. He, he claims in the book that he can't get in touch with her. He, she, she's refusing to hear from him. So he finally has to send a fax to various numbers, like detailing access to their, their daughter, who's Lily Collins, who's kind of a well-known actress at this point. Yeah. But it is intercepted, and it's published on the front of the Daily Sun or something like that in England, and it becomes called Faxgate. And he's this you know, laid-back, funny, lovable Phil Collins. He's not only been oversaturated, he's now seen as this callous guy who's been divorced twice, divorces people through faxes, and also seen as a tax exile like, because he doesn't want to pay taxes, so he goes to Switzerland, even though he says he's just there because he falls in love. Noel Gallagher says, you know, you know, Tax aisles, exiles are bad, except for at least it's kept Phil Collins out of here. You know, it's really mean. But that's much later. But you have um, his 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 his, his uh, personal life just ends up being a real sad um, litany of of failures, basically. And he leaves Genesis. He decides he, it's time to go. They do another album with, and I don't know. I didn't listen to this album, so I don't know. There's a couple good songs. Oh, really? I'll, I'll tell you one to listen to if people think it's because it, with the time people thought, oh, Genesis is going to be terrible without Phil Collins. You know, you know, you know, just it, spoiler alert. It, if Tony Banks and Mark Rutherford are involved, it's not going to be terrible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a song called Small Talk on there, which I think is good. The, the singing isn't really isn't on par. Right. Um, but it's OK. I mean, where do you want to go from there? There's, there's. I mean, I think there's some, there's just sort of some big things that happen that that kind of wrap us up here, which is that he spends, uh, he's spending a lot of time in Switzerland, and he decides to do this dream come true for him, which is this big band uh, scenario with Quincy Jones and Tony Bennett. Um, and that goes for a while and it's a dream come true. He, he was always, uh, Buddy Rich was, was an idol of his. And so he's sort of, uh, uh, having some wish fulfillment there. And then we all know, uh, that Disney knocks on his door to do basically an Elton John part two, uh, after the Lion King, he does, um, Tarzan, sorry, Elton John does Lion King. They come to Phil Collins to do Tarzan, um, and that goes really well. I mean, Tarzan is like a a, a big movie. It's a long process. At one with point, Disney. it was the most uh, successful soundtrack of any Disney uh, 
of any Disney movie. Come stop your crying, it will be alright. Just take my hand, hold it tight. I will protect you from all around you. I will be here, don't you cry. For I'm so small, you seem so strong. But he does also have time to record a solo album in the middle of this, right? Which goes sort of, it's kind of world music, and even the cover kind of—it's not his face. He kind of looks like he's doing the Peter Gabriel thing, but right. it, a bad version of it. But there's a couple of like early type, early Beatlesy songs with guitars on there, uh, which are awesome. Really, that was a discovery for me, and I'll, one of those is going to be one of the ones. Okay. I, um, it's it's called Dance Into Light, but this is a song, terrible title, but a great song called Love Police. It's 1996. <laughs> Sometimes. Kind of like a Wilburys, yeah, vibe. Total Wilburys vibe. But that, so he starts the Tarzan process, then records that record. Disney takes forever. Right, doesn't come out till when nineteen ninety nine. Okay, huge smash. Yeah, he he's a part of working on it as a for to be a stage musical, and it becomes a stage musical, but it does not do what The Lion King did. Right, he does another Disney movie, Brother Bear, um, which brings him. uh, He works with. Tina Turner. Uh, Tina Turner and the Bulgarian Women's Choir on a song called Transformation, and it's brilliant. Uh, I didn't. I listened to the Brother Bear songs today. Yeah, me and too. I thought they were all pretty great. They're pretty good. Um, but the the one with the Bulgarian Women's Choir and like the the um, Blind Boys of Alabama. Uh huh. But also, this is happens in like this is that's two thousand three, two thousand one is Urban Renewal, which is the R and B hip hop tribute album. To him, which has you know, looks just this is for real. Is old dirty bastard doing an awesome version of What's Susudio? It it's called Urban, Urban Renewal. It's known Urban. as uh, Q Magazine voted it as one of the fifty worst albums of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> but you have Lil Kim doing In the Air tonight. Whoa! Uh, old dirty bastard doing an awesome version of Studio. Brandy and Ray J do a version of Another Day in Paradise, which actually gets some real uh, traction. Pharrell's on there. Phil says uh, when this happens, he's surprised. He, this is, but this is a great quote. He says, um, he says the first time I was aware of it. 
of the, their interest in my work was when I watched a documentary on Ice T. This smug UK journalist looking at his at Ice T's record collection said, "What's with all the Phil Collins stuff?" Ice T turns around and says, "Don't mess with my Phil." You feel like ringing people up and saying, "Are you watching this?" Uh, Bones, th- th- thugs oh and yeah, harmony Bone Thugs and Harmony do home tonight. That's... It's it's uh, it's not like a yeah, right. It's not a casual stand yeah, yeah, by yeah. Eminem. Uh, it's it keeps coming, and it's a little bit like, wait, what is what is happening here? I mean, he he, there, there's good reason. I mean, he's he's enduring, uh, and he was everywhere and it's hard not to also i think that the like you were saying the sort of atmospheric the the chill vibes that he he brings um make him re-listenable even when you're oversaturated uh again the 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 drum forward sound and the atmospheric sound i think make it different than other pop of the day the other thing is that he's if he's formulaic he's formulaic to himself he's not formulaic to a a, an overall uh pop sensibility or he doesn't follow trends necessarily Mm -hmm. he's crafting his own sound and then he's sticking to it um you know, if anything, that's what makes him tiresome by, by the time the, the 90s roll around is that he just doesn't shift gears the way Genesis shifted gears in, you know, 1980. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And he kind of, you know, as the 2000s roll around, he, he, he basically, after Brother Bear, we just don't hear from him for a while. Right. I think there's a, there's a, ends up being a Genesis reunion tour. Which he, he does is one really more record. Interesting that it, it almost, it, so the the Steve Hackett Peter Gabriel lineup almost happens. They're going to do potentially Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Oh, that's a really sad thing to hear that that almost happened. Right, it, because and it kind of makes sense. It's like that lineup kind of deflated at uh, La- uh, Lamb Lies Down, and so it only makes sense that they would come back together again to maybe do it right. But they just can't work it out. But in that negotiation, the you know the core three figure out okay, we could do a reunion tour. Like, there's the three of us are still good. Let's do it. So yeah. they, they do it again. You know, we used to argue a lot in the early days, yeah. especially when there were five of us. A lot of arguing. But uh, three, is, three is a good number. And... Uh, so argue a bit. Yeah. We love each other. Ah, <laughs> oh, they never argue. <laughs> the problem is, is um, his, he's got a number of health things that are, are starting to creep up on him. He has spinal surgery, um, his bones are more brittle. He thinks it's linked to the steroid shots that he's getting for his voice back in the eighties. Like whenever he, his voice blows out, he gets, you know, quick fixes and that that stuff over time, he sort of overdoes it. And, and that leads to the weakening of his bones. He's also this active drummer and his, his, his bones are turning to yeah. dust. I wasn't told about the side effects until... I'd add them quite a bit, you know, I mean, you know, once you go on a course of these things, you can't really stop unless you have a break because uh, you get through the night. But then the next day when you wake up, your voice is, you know, it's like two steps forward, one step back. So um, on the last leg of this first tour that I ever had them on, um, this doctor said, well, there are a few side effects. One is a buffalo hump. (laughs) Apparently you just start getting this hump on your back. (laughs) 
Uh, I thought, thanks, pal, yeah. Uh, the other one is Moonface, which you start blowing up, which I actually got. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, the other one is your bones can go soft. You know, I mean, all kinds of horrific side effects. And so he has a number of surgeries. He has access to clonopin, And then he goes through a third divorce again with a young family. He's got these two young boys. And it's like, and it's at the time when everybody hates him. Bad reviews. You look in the dictionary under bad reviews, you've got a picture of me. Oh, no. No, no. Um, no, it's true. Uh, it's actually quite well known. I think that I, I used it. Oh, the critics hate me. He just couldn't feel lower about himself. And for the first time, he really like digs into the bottle and the combination of booze with these painkillers just sends him down, yeah. down, down. I mean, you, it, all, all, the, all the key ingredients. Oh, not only that, but also for the first time, he's just not working like he has been for decades. And suddenly, you know, well, he kind of facing got the down retirement. That he, that he needed to retreat a little bit. And he wanted to. He was sick of... He said yes to too many things. True, but he had never he'd never done it before. Yeah. He had never stopped and suddenly he stops and Yeah, it doesn't go well. His, it doesn't, it doesn't well. It, yeah, you're right. It just and then, doesn't like, go even well. Last year you're getting these he's having to evict his third wife from a house because they were she getting back together and divorced, she's secretly I mean, uh, remarried. Married, it's yeah. just it's uh, but as we're speaking, they're on a tour with he's on a tour with the Genesis guys, and he's in you know with a cane and a chair the whole time, and um, and the audiences, the fans are coming out for it. Yeah, I mean, it, well, they realize how much much this music means to, so and that many this people. is the last you know chance for them to see this, yeah, this power trio. But it 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 isn't um it's not the sweetest ending to the the uh, because there was it's a lesson in oversaturation and yeah. reactivity. Um, we, there's a whole solo album in there that we never even talked about called Testify, which is I, he likes it. I'm, and his covers album. He does a going back covers album with using a lot of the original band from Motown. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so there's there's the stirrings of life, uh, but he's. He sort of watches, I think, as his reputation gets rehabilitated mm-hmm. from the Faxgate, tax exile, overexposure, yeah. thinks he's too funny, yeah. simply everywhere. You just stay quiet long enough and these things turn around and all of a sudden yeah. everyone is, and not only is the hip hop community into him, like everyone's trying to get these drum sounds now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the Genesis records is particularly have aged very, very well. Caller is from Columbia, Missouri. Hello. Hi. Um, Phil, I've been a big fan of your long time, and I really like this new album. I want to know how you feel about some of the lack of artistic respect you've gotten in the past from some of your critics who've labeled your music as sort of run-in-the-mill, over-commercialized pop, and is this new album sort of a reaction against that image of your music? Well, I'm always trying to rattle my cage a little bit. Um, The critical abuse kind of used to bother me more than it does now, actually. I mean, I, I just, I'd like to think I'd like to, I could get reassessed, you know, um, but I think probably it's too late for that. So um, I think I'm doomed to a life of just sort of people buying the records, but the critics hating me, which is... You know, you're doomed to a life of commercial success. Yeah, I guess that's... Why uh, that's do the okay. critics hate you? Well, I, I don't know. I think uh, it tends to be because they, they tend to sort of assume that, that if you have a lot of success, which I've fortunately had, that you're, you know, you've got the lowest, lowest common denominator and you're, you're changing your musical um, 
musical output. To sort in of your own heart, have you ever copped out for commerciality? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's not even in my, my dictionary, but, but um, I just think I'm not hip enough, that's all. You know, who cares? So what is your, do you have, do we, should we go to top five? Are you ready to do Yeah, that? I just wanted to share this one. Um, uh, I have a, a good friend who um, saw uh, Phil Collins on this, I don't know, whatever his tour was before this last Genesis tour, which was a few years ago. I think it was actually, it, it was the Not Dead Yet. It coincided with his um, autobiography. Uh, and uh, my friend made um, uh, homemade T-shirts and uh, uh, with, with the other person that he, he went to the show with. And the T-shirts, I love this. The T-shirts said, I'm just like you, except I've sold 80 zillion records. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Phil Collins. That's funny. I'm going to give you my top five Phil Collins songs. And then, uh, for this era, from this era, or the top five or six. And then I'm going to give you the top five of Genesis plus a couple of other people, other Great. people he worked with, okay? So for me, top five is um, Something Happened on the Way to Heaven. Okay. Against All Odds. It just is a perfect song to me. Great. Can't turn back the years off of both sides. Uh, love police <laughs> off of shining to dance to light. I mean, hey, don't don't hate the messenger. Don't knock it. Um, and uh, probably hand in hand from um, or roof is leaking off of uh, face value. Do you have a do you have a um, a fill list? A fill list like that? Um, sort of. I did a solo. Uh, in the eighties list. Um, so that includes Mike and Tony as, as okay. well. Um, against all odds is on there. So I, I won't include that, but it was uh, silent running by Mike and the mechanics. Mm. I love that song. Um, I missed again by Phil, uh, something never, which is a Tony Banks song on the fugitive. I really like the fugitive. That's the first one. He sings all the songs, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to having a singer. It. Yeah. Um, it's got Tony Banks has a weird and you never hear it until you listen to the solo albums. He's got sort of a George Harrison, like Al Stewart voice. Huh. Um, okay. it's, I think it's a, it's a cool sounding voice. It's not, it doesn't compare to Peter, Peter Gabriel or, or Phil Collins, but. Because the problem was when you, when you release an album in Genesis downtime, everyone yeah, forgets yeah. who I am, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if, and even when the group's around, they're not too sure who I am, but at least they have a better chance. <laughs> anyway, uh, Don't Lose My Number uh, and Easy Lover. Oh, no! <laughs> I'll just skip that one. Okay, well, I'll do uh, things that are not released under his name, and uh, I will, which would be Keep It Dark oh, by yeah. Genesis. I Know There's Something Going On by Frida. Uh, there would be Just a Job to Do by Genesis. I would add, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'd add Loco and Acapulco by the Four Tops. Or, the, or, or Puss in Boots. I like, like that song, That's too. That's such a good song. And the final one, I mean, this is just a bonus, bonus, bonus track. I think No Way Out off of the Brother Bear soundtrack is a, oh my God. a delight. It is a delight. Because it, oh it starts out very bleak. It starts out very bleak and gets hopeful, but it's, um, it still starts, Phil's got some juice in the tank still. Holy smokes. Oh, bam. What do you think about that? That's pretty awesome. I guess um, I could put Domino in there, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go. I just did a, a Genesis in the uh, 80s list. Um, and that is uh, No Reply at All, Keep It Dark, 
Tonight, tonight, tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Mama and that's all. I love that I have three songs that you hate. Definitely my least favorite of those. What what do we send it out on? Gosh. We're going to send it out on No Way Out off the Brother Bear soundtrack. You ready for this? Oh, my God. Everywhere I turn, I hurt someone. But there's nothing I can say to change the things I've done. Of all the things I hid from you, I cannot hide the shame. And I pray someone, something will come to take away the pain. There's no Yeah. Okay.